Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. All right, Asking Why episode 71. I've got... Cole and Caitlin and Zick is that how you say your last name yep Zick yep okay Mm -hmm. and uh, from more revolution so I'm super glad to have you guys on the podcast we're just chatting before about Christianity and mental health and so I hope to get into some of that today so how how are you guys doing we're great we're honored thanks for having us yeah Yeah, no problem so uh, my audience you know uh, listens to this all the time and we our goal of this podcast is just to talk about mental and emotional health and Christianity and psychology and kind of merge the worlds and make them make sense together. And so I had been on Havila Cunnington's podcast and kind of, that's what we were talking about before, just connecting with you guys. And so I looked up more revolution and what y'all are doing. I was like, man, this is amazing. So tell my audience kind of who you guys are and and what you do. Go first. You should go first. If I go first, I talk too long. So you should go first. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, You know, typically when it comes to sex and relationships, people are very lost and confused or they've just, it's silent, right? Like they just don't talk about it. So basically at Moral Revolution, we try to uncomplicate sex and relationships. We try to have healthy conversations and return to God's design about it. And so we try to do that from every angle, not just, you know, sometimes in the church specifically, it has gotten cornered into like, it's a high school topic saying, just don't have sex till you're married. Um, And so we're like, well, there's a lot more to purity, sexuality and relationships. So we have sex conversations for marriages. We have them for parents. Like, how can we start off better by having healthy conversations in the home? So we create oh, dating and singleness. Uh, We talk about porn prevention. Uh, We have an entire branch for LGBTQ. So we have a lot of conversations about sex, sexuality, relationships and create lots of resources for people in all of those demographics. Yeah, y'all's website is super awesome. So it was super helpful. I was like, I got to steal some of this and put it on my website because we have not updated in the way that y'all, y'all have. Steal as much as you want. We yeah. love it. We yeah, really vice versa, that. man. Most Whatever we have, take it. Too. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's all we're, we're doing, stealing right? stealing from each other. Let's just be honest. 100%. 100%. So, Cole, kind of tell me how you guys started this and what, what brought you like around to this. Because I saw, you know, I know y'all have kind of your testimony. So tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, so Kate and I were were youth pastors for 11 years in Sacramento. We were at the same church for 13 years. Uh, great church, Capital Christian Center in Sacramento. And I loved youth ministry. We both did at different seasons. I was like, I'll be a youth pastor for the rest of my life if the Lord would let me. Like, this is great. I get to wear warm-ups and <laughs> go to play in summer camps. And what uh, I did get to a point where we were feeling like, oh, man, there's, there's a change coming. Well, we had always dreamt about leading a purity ministry together. Um, ever since we were dating, we started dating when Kate was a senior in high school. I had been out of high school for one year. I was a year older than her. And, um, we've, you know, we had always dreamt about it, always talked about it. And then, uh, basically when we were in this period of transition, we got a call from Havila. Havila Cunnington was actually the former director. We didn't actually start moral revolution. It was started 2009 by Chris Valentin. He's one of the leaders at Bethel church in Reading. Okay. Started it off of a book that he wrote and then 
before we came, Havila was most recently, she was the one that was directing it and leading it. But she called and said, or her, her husband, Ben rather said, Hey, we're leaving, we're transitioning into this other thing, but we want to help, you know, leave moral revolution in a good place. Would you guys come and direct it? Oh, that's cool. And so after, you know, lots of talking, lots of prayer, figuring out, all right, Lord, are you calling us to do this? And, and what is it? And we just, God's reminded us of dreams that we had had when we were 18, 19, 20 years old together. And, when we shared it with our church and our youth ministry, every one of them were like, oh, this makes total sense because you guys are the sex pastors. If, yeah. the, if there was an obvious next step, it would be this because we were, you know, in youth ministry, we were regularly talking about God's design for sex, how how and why to live that out. Um, and so it, you know, it kind of sprung on us. But from the moment we talked to Ben on the phone to when we started, it was like 30 days. Like it just, crazy. it happened really quick. And uh, so we've been here for a little over five years now. Okay. Uh, we came up here a little over five years ago and man, it's been awesome. You know, we've had the opportunity to grow and grow the, grow the ministry and, and, and like branch it out into other areas. It's been, yeah, it's been pretty great. That's awesome. So are you, who are you attached to specifically, or is it a standalone ministry? How does that work? Technically? Yes. Uh, <laughs> we are, we're a standalone ministry. We're a 501 C three. We have our own board. But we were launched from Bethel, and we're still very connected to Bethel. So uh, we're in the Bethel offices, and we're up here in Reading, and there's definitely ties and connection there. Uh, and so that's one thing with Bethel is Bethel's never been afraid to go after some of the harder topics, Yeah, and which we're super thankful for. You know, I know there's lots of thoughts and, and opinions out there about Bethel and who they are and all that stuff. We're one of the many things we're grateful for is their boldness to say, Hey, we're going to have the hard conversations. Mm -hmm. We may not have them all the right way. And we're going to admit that when we don't, but we're going to at least have them. And, and that's one thing that, that I love about Bethel is that they've had the courage to, to really support and be behind a ministry like this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's very easy to sit uh, Saturday morning or Sunday morning quarterback and say what people should and shouldn't do yeah, when you're totally. not dealing with human beings and working through it. You know, as a therapist, yep. same thing here. You know, there's a hundred times where I, over the last 10, 12 years, you know, you don't always say the perfect thing or have the perfect thing. And, and it's in that rupture that repair happens. And so that's yeah, where the beauty wow. is. Right. And so no matter what relationship we have, there's going to be rupture, but the repair is what actually strengthens the relationship. So within the church, it's like, a lot of times people are like, well, there can't be any ruptures or something wrong. Yep. And it's like, no, absolutely. Like, that's the beauty of Christ is that he, he restores all those things for us. So that's awesome that you guys are taking that risk and you're tied to Bethel. I, you know, I don't have any stance on any of that nonsense and yeah. like, I don't like to get into any of the peripheral stuff. I'm like, do you love Jesus? Okay. Let's, we can totally. we start there. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say this with it, you know, as a, whatever the statement is, we didn't know Bethel when we came here. Um, we took the the role for the sake of the role, not really having a ton of context of who Bethel was. And then even when we did, we had different people say, hey, you should really consider this. You know, you go on the Internet, you can find plenty of stuff about why Bethel's wacko. And we came and really quickly were like, wow, shocking. The Internet was wrong. Right. <laughs> the environment, the culture, the focus on family. I don't know that I've ever been in a place that did such a great job focusing on marriage and family that was a church. Like the, the yeah. focus on healthy family, healthy marriage that Bethel as a whole fosters uh, is next level. So for whatever that's worth, for whatever the, the people listening, that's what, what drew, drew us here was this ministry. What has kept us here is that we found a place that cares about the same things we do, which is parenting well, which is being a great husband, being a great wife, even when we're disagreeing pre-podcast yeah, as we're sitting here getting ready. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's one of the things we've loved about this environment is that's a, that's a value of Bethel that we love. Definitely. That's amazing. Yeah. I've heard that too. And, and Havila was great and we've had great interactions and, you know, I follow her stuff and she messaged me stuff. And, and, uh, and so here, you know, her connecting me with you guys, I was like, this is going to be legit and fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were joking about the headphones. You know, people say things like happy wife, happy life. And I'm like, happy spouse, happy house, right? Oh, there like, you go. I like that. I like that. Let the husband be considered yes. in this happiness. That, well, you know, Some we, headphones we, it is. That's right. We, <laughs> we, we, we do that all the time, though. You hear have these little kind of one-off sayings in marriage, in church, and, and people are like, you know, yeah, that's right. And it's like, no, we can't keep those stances. That's so toxic. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, I want my wife to be happy, and yeah, we joke about it, but at the same time, like, it's this egalitarian relationship that we need to be working on. That's the image of God. Yeah, totally. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, what you guys are working on right now. Like, what are kind of the the new movements, the things you see in the church that you're really passionate about that um, that keep you yeah. the most busy? Yeah. Right. Currently, we're working on really two projects right now. We're wrapping up a series called Date Well for Men. So we we have launched a series called Date Well Women, and it's essentially 10 to 12 weeks of community, but also a pretty incredible deep teaching on how do I as an individual, a single dating person get healthy so that I'm actually the healthiest version of myself to date well to hopefully lead to marriage. You know, we find oftentimes, which I'm sure you do in what you do is just see so many people that are just searching for the spouse but really haven't done the great work of getting healthy themselves. And so our date well series is for that. So we're about to launch our men's version of that. They're, they're gender specific uh, for the sake of having, you know, really clear topics. I think, as you know, that the challenges that face that a woman faces are different than a man. And so we want to be able to tackle those. And then probably the one I'm personally the most passionate about is uh, our movement that we've started this summer, this last summer called porn is lying to you. And really came from this revelation that porn has been the sex educator for probably the last 30 to 40 years, you know, where that's really what people are using to cause them to think they know what sex is. They've convinced they know what sex is because I've seen plenty of porn videos. And then when I was old enough, I started trying out what I saw. And so uh, we had this idea one day in the office and we just ran with it of what well, actually porn's lying. It's, mm-hmm. it's telling you things that aren't true about relationship. It's telling you things that aren't true about sexual connection. And so we've got sweatshirts and stickers and, and, you know, we're, we've been really dial, diving into trying to broadcast that I am in the, to the core of who I am. I believe that if we could prevent accidental exposure to pornography where children are finding porn between eight and 11, that we'll have a completely different society 20 years from now. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, that is my biggest passion as well. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that. I don't know if I've heard anybody else say it in that strong of a term. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's personally my, like, if I, if I just spent every day talking about that and communicating about that and speaking and, and helping people realize the lie that it's the lies that it's creating, um, man, that would be it'd be a, a life well spent. Yeah, man. Well, I would love to connect with you offline and and off of this podcast and talk more about you know those kind of things. One of the things that uh, I talk a lot about is the ACEs scores. Have you ever? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that's not on there is sexual neglect. So there's emotional neglect and physical neglect, and there's sexual abuse, but there's not sexual neglect. And so how I kind of define that is not talking to our children about masturbation, menstruation, yep. pornography, safe touch, body safety, you know, those kind of Absolutely. things. And I, I do talks now all over the place and I'll, I'll say, uh, hey, raise your hand. You know, well, it'll be a thousand people. I'll say, raise your hand if your parents talk to you about masturbation. Two people will raise their hand. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, this is where we're at. 98% of us in this room are sexually neglected. Now, what are we going to do yeah. about it? And how are we wow. going to prevent it? So we have these... These two roles, we have prevention and we have recovery. So we have to work really hard to prevent it for eight and under, 10 and under. And then we have to work really hard to help 12 and up recover. Um, yeah. And those are our only two options. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, I mean, right along with what we've been given our, our focus and our time to. And, and one of the unique things with MR is because we have so many different really focuses, you know, we'll, we'll speak at a marriage event, then we'll speak at a young adult event, we'll speak at a youth event, then we'll speak at a parenting event, and then we'll be at an event that's totally focused on LGBTQ with the, with the team that leads that. You know what is at the core of almost every story? Doesn't matter what their current reality is. Sexual trauma. It's sexual trauma. And a lot of it started with porn that they were too ashamed to talk to anybody about. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, it's very rare to find somebody that's that's living in a current state of brokenness and and pain that can't say oh porn is where porn either started this or accelerated this one of those two things absolutely i I would say as equal if not maybe more in my clinical practice that i see it's uh child on child interactions unsupervised Mm. yeah so what i hear time and time again is well i did have a cousin and we did this thing when we were four or five 
but genuinely it was because one of them was exposed to an adult circumstance or situation or movie or porn and the yep. other one wasn't. Um, so it might not yeah. be that both have seen porn, but porn one, is, of them. one of them most likely has seen it because children that are five or six or seven, like I have two boys, they're five and eight. They have no, I mean, no reference for sexuality right now, other than our healthy way of talking about it. But as far as acting out or thinking about it or playing that way, they don't even have a concept because they've never seen or been exposed to that by the grace of God. Um, yeah. And so when people say, oh, well, when I was six or seven, this happened, it's like, well, you didn't just think to do that as a six-year-old. That's not how right. biology actually works. That's not how yep. science actually works. You're thinking you're a unicorn or a pony or a monkey. Like you're not thinking about, I want to have this sexual experience with this other child, unless someone's touched you in a way that's inappropriate or you've seen something. Yeah. Well, and then it, then it's even because of the way the brain is working there. I mean, obviously I'm not trying to tell you the, the, no, the expert about, on this, yeah, but it's good. one of the things that we teach a lot is helping them understand, like when we're young, we're, our brain's actually looking for experiences to replicate, to teach ourselves how to live and grab these behaviors that are learned. Let me grab from what I've seen. Let me grab from what I've done. And so it's only natural for those kids to act out on what they've saw because they're now watching adults in this setting doing this thing. And so their brains now, because they're looking to find activities and behaviors to turn into second nature, they're trying everything out they can try out. It's why a kid wants to play house, right? They act, dress up like mom, dress up like dad, because they're learning how to mimic the adults that they want to become like. That's why to me, this is so dangerous because of the unique way the human brain was created as opposed to the brain of a dog or an animal that's primarily instinctive. The learned nature of our development is the most powerful thing about us and the most scary has the most scary potential. Absolutely. We, we call that an arousal template in sex addiction therapy, right? So an arousal templates formed before and during puberty. So arousal is like, what turns you on, right? What makes your brain and your body yeah. go, I want the best orgasm possible. Like I want to get the most aroused and turned on and disassociated as I can. That's not the same thing as intimacy, right? Yeah. But, that, but what happens is it gets formed early before even puberty and science happens. And so it's what happens. It's why people want BDSM. It's why people want certain attractions. It's why people want certain desires to be choked or to be whatever. One, they've seen it in pornography. And so they think it's going to be arousing. And two, they, it's actually happened to them. And so they, they're looking for the high, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking for how can I have the best orgasm possible and the best high possible. They might intellectually know this at 14, but their body is going for that yeah. instead of connection and intimacy. And yeah. it's, it's like, once you've set that template, you've got to do a lot of work to rewire it. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And the danger of making it about the orgasm, like you're saying, that's one of the things we teach a lot on is one of the, probably the great, you know, and you could speak to this. I'm sure there's more than just this, but this is one of the greatest concerns for me in this generation right now is we have people chasing orgasms, not intimacy. hundred percent. We're, we're just getting an orgasm as exciting and as quickly as I can possibly get it. So even our Christian marriages, a lot of times in the church, at least that we find it really is about the orgasm, not about the connection. And then it turns into well, it's about his orgasm. It's not often about her orgasm. It's about how she can give him an orgasm. And it's her wifely duty to make sure that he gets an orgasm. And so now even in the church, we have completely decimated the intimacy of sexual connection and said, this is about making sure your husband is pleased because he provides for you and he takes care of you and he puts a roof over your head. So to not be too crass, the least you can do is give him two orgasms a week right? because he does all these things for you. Yes. And that is a, that is a tragic way to experience sexual connection. If you've experienced the real thing, the way God designed it, you realize real quick, man, orgasm chasing is really empty and artificial. I would much rather have the intimate, deep connection version of this. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Caitlin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm like, that's a good point. Because the struggle is, from my experience, and I think many women I talk to, is 
that would be so easy to get on that thinking train because we've only been trained as sexual objects from a young age, Absolutely. right? Like our power comes from how sexy we are. So as a young 14 year old girl, I found my power, my popularity in being as sexy as I can, hooking up with as many guys as I can. So then it translates into, oh, this is just about how I can now please him because he's the one I'm with and he's the one providing for me. Um, but it's so important because women, I, I mean, my experience was I had so much to unlearn. I had child on child experience as a young girl, which I love that you mentioned that. Cause I think knowing inside the church, which obviously you're dealing with it in clinical, which is the first time I ever shared about it was in a clinical setting for myself because there's so much shame around it. Oh, yeah. It was shame. It was the denial, right? It was like the complete disassociation from it. Um, our parents found us and didn't have the right words. So then just more shame comes in because oh. you're like, they didn't give any clarity. So it just was more shameful, more embarrassing, more hidden. Um, thankfully, it was from a cousin that we didn't live like we lived cross country. So it wasn't a regular thing. It was a one time occurrence. But that marked me forever. Didn't come out till I was in yeah. my 30s at counseling. Um, so there's so much to unlearn. And when we're in settings, whether it's inside the church or a if you're not in a healthy home where the conversations aren't happening. So you're just set up for complete and utter failure and then wondering what's wrong with me? Like, why am I broken? Why isn't this like the movies, you know? Yeah. So I think having healthy conversations and obviously like Cole mentioned off camera first, we just pushed counseling, 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 therapy, therapy, therapy. We learned early on that we're like, there is no shame in counseling. It is 100% powerful, not shameful. Like it is what uh, completely restored me. It restored me being able to believe God's design. Like I couldn't even get there in my own. I could, I didn't know I had trauma that needed addressed. I didn't know that I needed stuff to unwrap and unlearn so that I could fully receive the way God designed it to be inside a marriage. That's beautifully yeah. said. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, and I love that you guys, it was, it's crazy that you went to the dating thing and that's what you guys are working on. Cause that's what I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is it's so important to prep teenagers, um, to understand the whys of why sex before marriage is a problem, right? Uh, I call yeah. it I call it the Frankenstein monster. So what I say is like, okay, guys, you're gonna have sex with this girl and this girl and this girl, and you're gonna have these breasts and this butt and these legs and this. And you're gonna what you're gonna do when you get married to your wife is you're gonna compare her to the Frankenstein monster. But it's not the bad parts; it's all the good parts, right? It's like you're you're yeah. she's gonna have to live up to all of the sex, all of the acts, all of the things, and all of the body parts that are just the highlights. Yeah, you know, and that's impossible. You know, and it's, yep. a, and it's wow. impossible on our side of it too. Like, gosh, I don't want to be measured against Brad Pitt or whoever is the hot, you know, to say my age now, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like whoever the new Zac Efron or whatever the new young guy is, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my goodness. And my wife's looking at that, you know, just purely from physical pleasure. And that's yep. what, that's what porn does, right? Porn's like, it's just a physical act. It's just pleasure. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, if I'm having sex with two women at one time, it's going to be more pleasurable. But is it going to give me intimacy and connection and these things that far outweigh the dopamine hit of pleasure? Is it going to give me what I say, like the serotonin kick, right? Mm, yep. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's a big part of even our journey, right? Like Caitlin had a lot of unlearning to do and had to change what she actually believed about sex from her experience. Her experiences taught her one belief system about sex that basically guys manipulate to give it, to get it. And I have to do whatever it takes to give it. So it took a year and a half worth of counseling to rewire her brain to actually think different in EMDR. Yep. I mean, she went through a lot of intentional work just so that she could believe something different about sex. And it's nuanced to me. There's layers to that, right? So there, there's the, you know, the, I guess the, the front facing, the tip of the iceberg of yeah, you're going to you're going to compare your wife to the boobs of that girl, the butt of that one, the legs of this one, the, the kissing ability of this one. But what you're also doing the next layer to that is you also just conditioned your brain before it was fully developed in your mid 20s, you just conditioned it to need variety. Yep. So even if you actually marry, if you somehow married the model that had the best of all of those. Let's just say you existed, were the guy yeah. that could find that. <laughs> the unicorn. The, what you didn't do is you didn't find the model that can transform into the variety of different women that you made your brain sexually dependent on. 
that's really good. And so now you go and I'm coming into, I'm bringing into this marriage, not just a need for perfection on a physical level, but I also have a orgasm pursuit that that's my top priority over connection. So I need perfection. I need to have an orgasm as quickly and as often as possible. And now I also need a change. Well, I mean, you know, because you counsel them, but time and time and time again, by year number two, year number three, even the most attractive people are being cheated on. Yes. Even the most attractive people in marriages doesn't mean that they're sexually fulfilling each other because sexual, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. Sexual fulfillment is not just physical and we've shrunk it to be just physical. And so we have an entire generation that needs to relearn sex yep. so we can believe something different and can actually reattach the intimacy that was that it was designed for which the hard part of that is really the reality. And this is one of the things that I, when I talk through this with young adults all the time and with high schoolers, in order to actually get through your high school and college age years and feel mentally sane, if you're sexually active, you have to literally lie to your subconscious and say sex doesn't matter, it's just an act. Because what happens after you have your first partner, you have sex, you break up. It feels like death. I the would rather die <laughs> yeah. than break up. Yes. Well, because it was supposed to. But so, what do you have to do to your subconscious? You literally have to teach yourself not to get attached through sex. Otherwise, you're not going to make it through college today. Because the average man has six sexual partners before marriage. The average woman four and a half. So, just in order to make it to relationship number two, three, and four. I have to actually shut off the part of my brain that allows me to attach to somebody through sex. And so now all of a sudden I'm ready to settle down. I'm 28. My brain's fully developed. My goals have changed. I want to get serious about life. I want to have that spouse and the kids. Now, brain, all, you know how I just taught you for 15 years not to attach through sex? Now I need you to attach all of a sudden and only to this person and don't attach to anybody else. And, and don't watch porn like, either. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And don't watch porn. And our brain's like, what, how do I make sense of all these signals, all these messages you're trying to tell me? Well, now year number two, three, four, five comes in marriage and we don't know how to fix what we have destroyed. Yep. That's where you come in. And that's where therapy comes in. That's why we're so passionate about this. If I could do it again, I would be a therapist. Yeah. I became too aware. I, I became aware of how important it was with four kids later and already into my life. But that's why if you're listening and you're watching, therapy is the path forward for so many of us. And it's not just for the most messed up people. It is for yeah. anybody that considers themselves a hemo sapien. They should be going to therapy at some homo sapien. <laughs> they should be going to therapy at some level. Yes, that's good. Sorry for my rant. Oh no, I love it. I'm usually the ranter, so it's uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's nice to have someone on this podcast as passionate as I am. So uh, I'm excited that you're talking about this stuff. It's it's my listeners know. I mean, we've had these versions of conversations in little ways throughout you know the episodes so to hear you rant about it, it it's really really nice i really appreciate the vulnerability and the the clarity because you're so right it is such a challenge for college-age students i did a talk yesterday at lsu here for the psychiatric med students and uh they're like you know the phd candidates or whatever and we were talking about anxiety and I went on a tangent, just like you did, about where do we think, you know, anxiety is the symptom, but all these kids who are coming into college who have already been sexually active, who have already been porn addicted, who have so much shame about what they've been masturbating to and watching and listening to what they've done with other people, like all of that shame is just building in them this, you know, volcano eruption yep. of anxiety and depression. Wow. And, yeah. And and we're trying to treat it with meds and going, oh, well, they're, it's their smartphones and it's this. And it is. Those are all other problems that we could talk about, um, you know, being checked out and being emotionally unavailable. But if we trace it all the way back to the, our original conversation, the prevention is, well, then how do we talk to our three and four year olds about this? Yeah. And our five year olds and our seven year olds. Yeah. You know, I always use my oldest son. He's going to, when he gets older, he's going to listen to these podcasts and be mad if he ever cares. But it's like, you know, I use him for everything because he's my, like, he's my learner. I'm right there in the middle of doing this. And, 
he'll get an erection or he'll be in the bathtub rubbing back and forth on the bottom of the tub and he'll get out and he's like, ah, my penis hurts. And I'm like, yeah, that's an erection. There's blood in there. Like, leave it alone, you know? And that's our baseline conversation. But that's going to lead into at 10 and 11 being able to have the sex talk and then have the masturbation talk and then have the, you know, yep. and, but you can't just start at the age in which they're developmentally ready. Right. Yep, totally. You have to, you have to be a little ahead of the developmental stage. Absolutely. But unfortunately, like we talked about before, because the church has separated therapy and the church and the spiritual and the physical, people don't even know what child development is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's true. And, and we, you guys, I want to talk a little bit about the LGBTQ thing, but it's like, uh, I'll have pastors come in and want me to talk to them about that. And I'll say, well, first I need you to explain to me how heterosexuality works. <laughs> right? Like Penis, what's, what's, vagina. Yeah, what's the biology of why men are attracted to women? And if we can't start with that conversation, then we can't start, we can't talk about something that is less than 5% or less than point something percent, you know? Yeah. Um, because it's like if we don't have a stance as a church about our own belief about these things biologically and not just the Bible says it, yeah. which, hey, the word's amazing and important and cuts like a you know sword, but Jesus also really focused on the mental and the emotional and wanting us to be Absolutely. full people. Mm. So you we, can be smart and spiritual, believe it or not, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's one of the things I would I wish the church would realize. Like you could be educated, intelligent, smart, and you can be spiritual and full of faith, believing for miracles. You could do both at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. Caitlin, what would you advise uh, girls in the dating culture right now? What 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 are the things you're seeing that they're struggling with? Uh, parents of girls or just girls in general? What would be some of your advice right now in the dating scene? Uh, that's a great question. So we have been running the Date Well Women community for about a, a little over a year. So we get to interact on our monthly live calls too with a lot of single women. So I think when we created Date Well, our whole goal was, like Cole said, is it's not just about dating. It's called a path to wholeness and dating because we're like, so our first like six weeks of the course are how do you be whole as a woman? Because right. I do think as a woman, there's so much of that searching for the one, not becoming the one, you know. Yeah, the Disney and movie. It, Yep. And then t completely being like comparison driven, right? Where whether you're comparing to rom-coms or your best friend situation, you just want what others have. You're not actually, you know, so I think that's our number one thing we always go back to is like thriving in who God has made you to be, not waiting to live your life, living your life and finding a partner along the way. Um, because we have a lot of like, I mean, our age range actually is typically like in the thirties too. like, we have a 65 year old woman who's on like every call with us. So we really go back to being grounded in your faith and your walk with the Lord, finding good community, not waiting to live. Um, so I think that's our number one thing. I think for parents, I mean, that's like a whole nother topic that y'all were talking about earlier with just how do we have the conversation starting from a young age? So that's another huge passion of ours. Uh, like he said, they're working on date well, and then porn is lying to you. I would say a huge passion of mine is parent well. Uh, it's an entire series. And of course we created for parents because that is our goal. Like we have to eradicate the idea that there's one talk one day. Like you said, right. you can't just wait till they're developmentally ready. It's not one conversation. It's not sitting them do down for the birds and bees talks. It's like, how do we own this conversation from the time they're so young? And um, so we have four kids as well, three boys and then a girl. So our boys, when they were <laughs> five and seven, so similar ages to yours, we had already started talking about the idea of, like, I, I forget how it first happened, but if they heard the word sex, <laughs> then we would, like, tell them, like, it's not a bad word, because they'd always, like, whisper it or something. Yeah. We're like, it's not a bad word. Like, it's from God. And so we try to teach them this. And then one day it was like, you know, those moments where your kids are totally, like, acting like a fool and you get your phone out and you, like, miss the recording of it. Because you're like, I want to, like, capture this to show them one day. Yes. But we saw, our, I found our every two boys day. there. Yes, yes, every day. There's some good content out of that. Um, but our five-year-old at that time, I mean, still to this day, we have an email today to prove it from our teachers. Um, he was, he's an instigator. He wants to get a rise out of somebody. He's going to do whatever it takes, whether that's physical, verbal. And so he's stomping around the living room and he's like, sex, 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 sex. Cause he's trying to get his older brother super irritated with him. Yeah. And so, but then the seven-year-old responds and he's like, Hey, sex isn't a bad word. It's actually from God. Just some people in the world, like took it and messed with it or something misused yeah misused it so the five-year-old was just so bummed he's like oh man like you don't even you're not even bothered by it 
He's, but then our seven-year-old responded, and he's like, but also, when you're in high school, there's going to be girls who want to do it to you. <laughs> and they, you, they at this point still don't really know what it is. They just know it's from God for married people. That's right. And so then the five-year-old's like, what? Why? Like, why do girls want to do it to me? And our seven-year-old replies, because you're so handsome. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. So we've just been trying to, though, instill and. Now we have a 12 and they're 12 and 10. So we have a lot more conversations about all of the things because they do find out earlier than parents assume as well. So, mm -hmm. oh man, my, my fifth grader came home and asked what about oral sex, asked if condoms were bad. Fifth grade at a small Christian school out in the country. Yeah. So oh, that's it, 10. Uh, that's, that's right where it is, right? Preteen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we try to empower and equip parents to talk, uh, talk what we say is earlier and more often than you think you need to. Yeah. If you just, whatever year you think you need to talk to them, probably go five years earlier than that. You know, most parents would say 15 or 16. I would say, no, 10 or 11 is when you, that you really start to lean in. But I mean, the moment they're born, I mean, what, their first phase of sexual development is already done by age three, Yep. right? The, the, the touching, the eye contact, the affection. So if we're waiting until 15, we're already into to phase number four, four or five at that point. We need to be moving much quicker in their in their development. Yeah, I think one of the barriers to that for parents, um, and hopefully y'all's people will listen to this as well, uh, or you know, you might say this, but one of the barriers is that we as adults, because we have all this resolved unresolved trauma, because we have all this shame around our own bodies and our own image and our own, you know, sexuality when we talk about children's private parts, we say penis, when we say vagina, when we talk about an erection, we think about it sexually. Yeah. They, they don't, you know, exactly. they, they think about it like hand or arm or ear. You know, when I tell my son, I'm like, Hey, you know, stop rubbing on it and, you know, take your hands out of your pants. He's like, okay, I'm not like, that's bad. That's shameful. That's awful. Like that. Just like I would tell him, Hey man, stop digging at your eye. You're going to irritate your eye if you keep doing this. And so we have those conversations. Like it's not good to rub anything too much, right? It's not good to rub your eye when you have, and I'll, I'll say that. I'll say, you know, when your allergies are acting up, you know, stop rubbing your eye. Yeah, and at four clip. or five, that's all he needs because he's like, okay. And he moves on. But when we get anxiety, like, oh man, I'm going to talk about his penis and he's going to think sexually and he's going to think about masturbation. He's going to think about other women. It's like, he's seven. He, do, he, he doesn't he have all zero that. Zero context to any of those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so yeah. Yeah, it's true. It is funny how we, uh, we think they have all the experiences we do when they're a fraction of them. And they're thankfully the gift of that. You know, if we would realize that and lean into it, it'd be much more helpful. Absolutely. And my, my son, uh, he, uh, the other day he was going to our neighbor's house and so they had bike helmets on, they're about to ride and I was going to let him go by himself. And you know, the other thing I would say, the neighbors that we let him go with that we have these conversations with, right? Yep. We, we have to teach people community is so important that you cannot survive this by yourself. No doubt. Unless your friends and your peers are having these conversations with their kids and with you, you don't know yep. what's safe. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, my friend Jen was about to, to ride off on the bike with Grady. And, and so I said, hey, bud, come here. And he, so he runs over with his bike. And he's like, what? You know, annoyed as he can be. And, uh, and I'm like, he's like, I know, you know, I know the penis rules. Nobody touches it except for me. Nobody sees my private parts. Be gentle with other people. Don't wrestle. You know, he goes down the list. And he just put it in the list with everything else. Right. Yep. He, he didn't like separate it as a weird thing to talk about. And now, yep. you know, chores and all these things. He put it in so the list good. of just our family values. I like that penis rolls. Yeah. We need to have penis rolls and a vagina roll in our house. That's right. We have a vagina yeah. too. Yeah. A I couple mean, vaginas, I, I just have the, I just have the boys. So it's easy for me to just say the penis rules. It's funny because our boys are all like, they are, you know, we're 12, 10 and eight. And they just love talking about their balls and yeah, yeah, I bet. And all that language. So one day my daughter. <laughs> Is just so sick of it, right? <laughs> and so she goes, "Yeah, well, these vagina lips." Oh my goodness! Boys flip out. They're like, "Oh, Dad, tell her she can't do that. She's not allowed to say that." <laughs> and I go, "She's allowed to do that as long as you're going to talk about your balls all the time. It's no different. <laughs> you're talking about your privates. She's talking about hers. You want to talk about your 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 penis and your." Your balls, she could talk about her vagina. I don't have a problem with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. She just looks at me with the biggest smile on her face like, thanks, Dad. That's right. And it lasted for like an hour, and then she just, Moved you on. know, it's, 
went away and well, just that, in family context, it's yeah. all normal, right? Absolutely. Well, that's the thing, right? We get, it's our, we project all of our own stuff onto to kids that are yeah. perfectly healthy and protected. Yeah. And, Good. you know, it's and true. make a mess of it. So I hope that people can get more comfortable and I get it. Like people are so uncomfortable with this conversation and people listening to it are going to be like, Oh, <laughs> but if you're cringing, listening to this right now, I, like talking to you guys, I forget people are listening to us. I'm like, Oh yeah. We're, uh, you know, you should see us at a restaurant, Clint. It's right. not hey, fun. Us too. Yeah, man. People around us. All four of us are extremely extroverted. And I always say my family is a lot, you know, like when we hang out with people, yeah. we're wanting to go deep. We're wanting to talk about real things. We're wanting, you know, we're loud. We're having fun. We're laughing, making fun. So if you're listening and you're cringing to this conversation, that's probably because there's some unresolved things in there that you need to work on or talk to somebody about Yeah. because you don't have freedom with your own body and God has made it beautiful and good and holy and healthy. And he wants you to have Amen, the, the great orgasms Amen. with your spouse, feel free, feel connected. He doesn't want any of the stuff that we've been talking about for you. So I know yeah. it, I know it's hard to listen to and it's abnormal. Um, but thank you for digging in with us. Um, I wanted to say one thing, Caitlin, to you, you, we were talking about males and kind of how the culture of men is, is chasing after that orgasm and women feeling like, um, you know, they have to provide that and give that. What's some advice you would give them if they feel like they're in that state? Um, what's some ways to maybe talk to their husband or, or reach out to, for some support? Um, Great question. What's some encouragement that you could give them? Um, I think if you're stuck in that spot and you're anything like where I was at, I needed a total mindset shift because I wouldn't have even known what to say right for me it wasn't Cole asking it it was it was just my entire life perspective that even it was a, a quick way for me to say it is I believed lust for so long I could not believe love was real That's so great. my husband was only pursuing me with true godly love but I only knew and experienced lust for my entire life. So it's like I had this filter that I was even seeing his actions through. Oh, that's good. So yeah, for me, I needed a whole transformation of the mind. Um, my very first counseling appointment, my counselor gave me a book. It, it'll sound a little outdated because it'll still talk about pornography and like magazines versus internet, but like content that matters is so pivotal. It's called Intimate Issues by Linda Dillo. Okay. And it's an old, it's a purple, like it's one of those like old cheesy books. I literally used to refer to it in my head as my Christian Cosmo. Because nice. like I came from the world where it's like read all the teen magazines on like what yeah. to do. And so I'm like, this actually made me want sex because I was like, this is what God created this for. Like I will not let the enemy steal it. So it gave so much scripture and value to understanding this is what it's supposed to be that I realized I had none of that in me. Because if it wasn't even like if you don't have maybe even traumatic issues like I did from my past of being super promiscuous, just what we're fed in the world, right? In a hypersexualized culture. So it's just the stuff we see in the movies and the commercials or the song lyrics that I, that created so much of my belief system around sex. So I had to listen to something new. I had to change what I watched, even simple shows. Like by this point we were married, so we weren't watching garbage TV. Um, even something like law and order. I remember telling Cole for the first time, like, I don't think I can watch law and order anymore. Cause mm -hmm. it's just painting these negative sexual experiences. And then I want to go in bed and have sex with you. Like it doesn't translate. And then I just get triggered and re-traumatized well, by it. And the thing we had to work through was what we just watched on Law & Order SVU is not, even though it was a rape and technically the, the science or the nuts and bolts are sex, what, that, what we just watched them portray, you know, portray or, or work around in a, law, in a you know, crime case is not what we're gonna go do because we're gonna go do God's design. We're gonna experience intimacy that way. That took a lot of reworking mm -hmm. for Caitlin to be able to realize, wait a sec, same activity, kind of, but because it comes from a different place and we're experiencing it sanctified and holy, it's not the same activity because our emotions are connected to this when it's husband and wife. Our spirits are connected to this when it's husband and wife. And her, and it's one of the things I'm thankful for and proud of Caitlin for is she, she had to do the hard work because she had to go deal with, I didn't have a past sexually. She's the only woman I've ever been with. Like I didn't have a bunch of stuff I had to get over. I've never seen pornography to this day. Like I didn't have all of these hurdles. You are a unicorn. He is a unicorn. And she had to do some really hard, painful self work to say, wait a sec, 
I learned sex in this context, okay, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to burn, to get rid of all these things. Another line Kate says all the time is we're trained by what we're entertained by. Mm, I, like I don't that. think people always realize, you know, we're watching a rom-com, it's fun, it's, it's humorous, but they're continuously portraying sex with multiple partners, casual sex, no strings attached sex. It's nearly impossible for our subconscious mind not to grab onto that and attach it to the sex file in our mind of what sex is. Yeah. And, and I, oh, go ahead. No, I, you go ahead. I was just, I was going to say that's what Caitlin did so well is identifying, okay, what are all the sources to my broken perspective? And I'm going to start severing the ties to those sources so that I can reset my belief system about sex. Yeah, it's beautiful. Sometimes those negative sources are inside the church. It might be a well-meaning friend. Like there were certain lies I believed of like, it's my last act for the night. I'm like, it's not an act. Like I can't view it even then like as a performance or another person, like, you know, I took care of four kids and all of this. Now I got another person to take care of. I'm like, nope, even those lies. So it could, it doesn't even have to be as maybe as dramatic as the, yeah. the past issues or TV or pornography, it could literally just be statements like that that are interwoven into our belief system around sex and what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, that was that was beautifully said because that was one of the things I wanted to say as, as my male listeners listen, you know, there are, we, I see this swing now in culture where for years, yes, it has been that, that, you know, men who are unproperly educated, unproperly trained, unproperly discipled, have this toxic, unhealthy view of sex. And because we have testosterone, we tend to go for visual, we tend to go for aggression, we tend to yeah. go for these things. And because of that, we've done a huge disservice to women over the course of all of history, pretty much, to get us to this point. And then porn's made that a thousand times worse. Yeah. But what I also see in our culture is the swing of, on the other side, because of the trauma and because of the same things I just listed for men, women who do see sex as a chore or see their kids as the priority and go, well, you know, you got to understand, you know, I worked all day or I'm tired and I don't want to have sex with you. And, and if it is a husband who's actually being obedient, being kind, dating, doing the right things, then there's an issue on both sides. And so I see a culture that wants to paint men as just these pursuant, porn driven, mm -hmm. horrible men. And that women, toxic masculinity. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff. And that stuff's real. There is toxic masculinity. But at the Absolutely. same time, there are plenty of men who are trying to pursue their wives who have trauma, who have unresolved issues with their dads, with their childhood, with their previous exposures. And it's not just men in church's job. It is their job, but it's also us as a whole of saying, how do we all find healing? How do we all yeah. take responsibility in this mess? Mm -hmm. Do y'all agree with that? Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. And I just want to say, especially to a woman listening, like it's really hard work. I can't tell you when people come ask me after I speak on a stage, and then they come ask me individually, you know, for tips. I'm like, it's going to suck. Like <laughs> I wanted my counselor to cancel on me every Friday. Like I was like, please text me and tell me you cannot meet, you know, yeah. like I hated going, um, but I loved leaving. Like it was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing the hard work. I did a year and a half that first round and then I needed to go back again. And I remember crying in the bedroom to Cole, like, is it always going to be like this? Like, am I always going to have something I'm going to have to go after and dig? But my resolution was I just refuse to settle for less than God's best in my sex life. And I'm not letting the enemy use my past to continue to steal from my future. So whether that's something that is a little thing that it's like actually one counselor at the time kind of was like, hey, just like, I think you're doing OK right now. Like kind of ignore that right now, which I'm not even saying was bad advice. She was probably just trying to get me to settle into what victories I had one. Yeah, I revisited it then a couple of years later because I'm like, I still don't like that this is affecting my marriage because of my past and I can I can attach the strings and see why. So it's really hard work. It really sucks in the moment. But the other side is so, so worth it. And my thing was, I'm like, if not for me and my marriage, I'm not passing this stuff down to my kids. Yes. So I will not leave unresolved crap for them to have to deal with because I wasn't willing to face it. Yes, that's well, so good. Even to address what you said a second ago, Clint, of it, it for sure, like obviously Kate had to do the heavy lifting on her own emotions and her own mental pathways and the things that, that had been created. But it, it was without a doubt a partnership. And this is one of the things that I love to challenge men in. And this is what really guided me. So like the year and a half, we were, we'd been married for five years, almost five years when she went to counseling for, it was a big chunk of the work was done in this year and a half. 
period of time. Well, the first session, the counselor was like, hey, over the next few weeks, well, we really go through this. Do you think you guys could refrain from being intimate so, what, so that she can reset? And we're like, well, yeah, we were maybe having sex once a month at best at that point anyways. That wasn't a tall order. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm happy to intentionally wait a month to have bliss on the other side. Well, that turned into 18 months. Right. So we actually had 18 months in our marriage of no intimacy. And what the Lord spoke to me is he just reinforced what he, when he's given instructions to a man and a wife and he says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, giving himself up for her. When I'm chasing an orgasm, I don't have the mindset to love my wife, giving myself up for her, no matter what it costs me. Yeah. I don't wish on anybody a year and a half, period of celibacy inside of marriage with their spouse. That's not something I recommend. That's not something I would tell somebody to do. That's not something I want anybody else to have to go through. But I do want to encourage and challenge men to ask ourselves, am I loving her the way Christ loved the church? Am I positioning my heart, my mindset, my approach with her to say, I'm going to make sure I'm whole and I'm going to make sure she has room for her to be whole so that we can experience the fullness of this. I'll never die on a cross for my wife because I'll never have to. But if my mandate is to love her the way Christ loves me, then I do have to actively search for the things that I need to be willing to give up and to go after so that she can be a healthier version of her and I can be a healthier version of me and that we can be the best opportunity or we can both have the best opportunity to connect the way that God designed us to. And that's with all three parts of our being. And so, you know, I think when you talk about that, well, it's all of us men, what are, what are we doing? You're not that you directly asked that question, but you know, where you were going with that statement. Oh no, I was, yeah, um, I, was could, good. I couldn't agree more with it. I think that sometimes the thing that I try to teach my boys is a real godly man doesn't just fix the problems that he created. He takes responsibility for the problems other people created as well. Yes. That's what real godly men do is we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Therefore, we are a walking solution. Mm. We're a walking solution, whether that's in my career, in the, the marketplace, in the church, or in the relationships. I didn't create the, the, the mental issues that Caitlin had. Those were created by other boys in her adolescent years. That was created by this cousin that had that moment with her. That was created by, by young men that they were hurting, but they took advantage of her and used words to manipulate her. But as a godly man, because I'm a walking solution with the Holy Spirit in me, it's my now responsibility to create space for her healing. And sometimes righteous men do what's right, not what they have the right to do. So I don't get the right to demand, hey, I don't care if you have trauma, you have to have sex with me, you're my wife. I don't we a lot of times lose our compassion if somebody else created the problem that's in front of us. And I want to challenge godly men to say it's our responsibility to do what's right. Cause it's right. That's so good. Not man. because we caused the problem, but because we're equipped to solve the problem. And I think that if we, as men walk with that, we're going to create space for health and healing to, for everybody in our life. That's so good. Yeah. That's perfectly said. Yeah, I think I think the same thing when I work with clients, we do celibacy contracts and when they're trying to find recovery from porn or addiction or unhealthy sex, we do. We have to take those breaks. We we usually recommend 90 days, right? Right off the bat. Um, that sounds much better than my situation, our situation. Yeah, but that can turn into 18 months, 2 years. Um and I try to let I try to think, you know, if if you can't, you know, get it that way, like think about if if your spouse has cancer or if your spouse got in a car wreck, or if your spouse had something that was quote unquote completely out of their control that kept you from having sex with them for two years, are you going to cheat and watch porn? Are you going to be angry? Are you going to be bitter? Are you going to say, well, she can't help that she has cancer. So I'm going to serve her and sacrifice for her. Yeah. And this is our life. Well, we Great can't help the trauma that we have in our past. We can't yeah. just yeah. overcome it and overthink it and, yeah. and push through it. Yeah. I, I know it, it's so painful to go through that because God wired us to connect, right? God says, don't, don't take a break from sex unless the devil gets a foothold. So when we're not intimate in the way Christ calls us to, calls us to be, there is a, it is difficult, 
But man, like you just said, the the growth and intimacy, because I do want to point that out, like sex and int- intimacy are different. You can have intimacy without intercourse. Mm-hmm. And I know you would say that, but like, that's the point. It's like the, if we, if we've never had true intimacy before marriage, then until we take a break from sexuality in general, and then the toxic way that we see it, we never actually get reset neurologically to, to experience true intimacy. That's right. I mean, get, we have to give our mental pathways a chance to actually rewire and win this thing. Yeah. Yes. And I, and we found, I feel like it bonded us probably deeper than had we not. She served me by doing the hard work of getting healthy. I got to serve her by withstand, by, um, I, my brain just stopped abstaining. abstaining. My brain just stopped working for a second. Abstaining and doing it in a way where I wasn't trying to make her feel bad or guilty or like we both like, got uh, to serve each other. And, and puffing that, the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Like the tone in which I carried that served her. So that year and a half where we both made real sacrifice, like both of us, mine wasn't bigger than hers and hers wasn't bigger than mine. Like we both made a significant sacrifice that was built on the foundation of I love you so much. I want to serve you so that I can be healthy, you can be healthy. We got on the other side of it and it's like, man, there wasn't a, when I look back at that year and a half, I don't think there's not a moment where I feel like it almost fell apart. There wasn't a moment where I felt so overwhelmed with my sexual appetite that I had to look at something. I look back and think, man, I'm, I don't want to ever do it again in my marriage, but I'm so thankful that we had the opportunity to serve each other that way because you know what it did? Go back to the thing I said at the very beginning, multiple partners is not just teaching us to need the best of everything, but it's actually hardwiring our brain to chase an orgasm and need variety. Well, what that season did is it actually taught both of us that our marriage is about connection and sacrifice over everything else. So our bond became built on that. And then it's really, if your marriage is about commitment to each other and sacrifice, you're going to be able to build just about anything on top of that. Mm-hmm. You can even get over headphone fights. You can even get over <laughs> headphone fights, believe it or not. Yeah. That's a beautiful story, guys. I mean, it is, but, but the, the other thing is if you're out there listening to this and you have sexual trauma and you're like, I am so far from dealing with this. I'm so terrified to deal with this. I didn't realize until right now on the podcast that I even have this. Um, like Caitlin said, it is going to take time, but the Lord, 100% is in charge of that healing. And yep. you can see things in a very short amount of time. So in, in the scope of things, thinking about 18 months, and I, and I know I know I'm going to say something cold here that might be hard to hear, but uh, 18 months is so short in the in the scheme true. of eternity, in the scheme of 50 totally years of marriage. Yeah, he the, would always say that. I he would always say would say, say that. He's like, Claire. we're going to be married the next 50 years. We'll we're figure this out. out. I can give it a break right now. Yeah. I want to do it really well later on. No yeah. way. And what a blessing. And I think uh, uh, the other thing I would say out of that is don't take Cole and Caitlin's marriage and go, well, we have to do it exactly that way. Don't Absolutely. take my right. marriage. Don't take anybody's marriage because everybody's history is different. Yeah. And so if you do have a porn addiction as a man or a female and you do have a lot of trauma in your own life, it is going to be more difficult for you to abstain for 18 months. There are going to be different challenges, but God, God and community can still give you the support and the skills and the, the walk around to do this thing right and to reset. So don't, don't think you have to be like them or like me or like anybody else, figure out who you are in your marriage, who your spouse is, ask those hard questions, go on date nights, have some coffee, you know, do some things that you need to do to really dig into who they are and what's happened to them. Well, look, man, I, I appreciate y'all's time. I don't want to take too much up. I know it's getting late. Um, any closing thoughts, comments, things you would want people to know about more revolution about you guys that they can take home with them? I think if you want to connect or hear more about any of those resources, you can find us like Clint said, our website kind of has everything. So it's moralrevolution.com. We're on Instagram and all those things, YouTube as well. So would love to connect. I'll just leave you with this. The greatest rewards are on the other side of hard work. Yeah whether that's relationally, emotionally, physically, professionally, the greatest rewards are almost always on the other side of hard work. So if you're sitting here contemplating, is it going to be worth it? Do I want to go to counseling? Do I want to do the hard work of digging up my pain? I promise you we're at a spot. I, I never thought we'd be where we are. I never would have imagined we'd be where we are. Like we are having sex more than I ever thought I would have sex, <laughs> especially in those first few years and it is unbelievable we're both enjoying it 
I never thought we would both enjoy it the way that we're both enjoying it. And so I promise you, it was worth all of the hard work for both of us. So if you're thinking about doing the hard work of healing, go do it because the greatest rewards are on the other side of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you all for coming and listening. Uh, thanks for our audience for listening. I hope this is challenging you guys and you guys found some hope in it. Um, God bless you and have a good day.